0: every team every topic everywhere this is believe young music. Yes.
1: Everybody, to episode 15 of the Think Gold podcast. We have a special guest for you here today. He is a former college football player at Virginia Tech. He coached high school and college football for 12 years. He's a life coach. He is a mentor to a lot of people out there. Also, I think I saw in his Instagram bio, he's an endurance athlete, which I'm very curious to know about. And he's a father to two kids. So, how are you doing today, Steve?
0: Ever great to be here, man. Honored that uh, that you would reach out and, and, and yeah. have me on, man. I love yeah. I love talking to people like you who are uh, just trying to uplift and inspire and, and uh, educate and motivate other people, man. I consider myself very similar to that, so it's exciting to have a good conversation, man. So man, looking forward yeah. to it.
1: Like I was telling you, I, um you know I walk the seawall with Montana every morning. And one morning he was talking about, you know, do you know Steve Cancer? You know, he played fullback at Virginia Tech. He was like, yo, he sounded like a total fan. He was like, yo, badass fullback, bro. He's, he was badass. It's like, yo, 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 you probably seen him around Narragansett. He lives in Narragansett. And I'm like, nah, who is this dude? And he gave me your Instagram and I followed you. And I just seen the motivational quotes and I seen the way you live your life. And you know, some people you kind of tell like, all right, this person is putting on a facade for social media, but with you, I can tell that you're real genuine about it. You know, you're always showing your kids off, you know, you're showing how you wake up early to go surf and do things with your, with your kids. And I think that's so amazing. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure it just shows off in your life and the results you have with your life.
0: Yeah. I appreciate you saying that, man. Anytime you, uh, you kind of document, you know, we're all kind of living in this real world, real life, uh, reality television world, I guess now. Right. Um, and I like to document what I do. I'll be honest. I mean, I, yeah. I just have fun with that, um, mm. that piece of it, but I don't read the comments. I don't, uh, I don't let it, I don't take it to heart. I, I would say, or I try not to, uh, mm. in terms of criticism or maybe people's opinion of me, but, uh, mm. I just try to document what I do to hopefully maybe inspire some other people to give some things mm. a try. Um, you know, I worked at one point, worked with a lot of folks that were you know, probably 10 years younger than me and, mm. um, they, saw me as this family guy and somebody who went hard and, and a lot of them were inspired at times to mm. consider doing similar things. So uh-huh. I've tried to keep that alive and just, uh, again, document what I do. I love mm. uh, posting things of, of me and the boys and uh, <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the sunrises, man, that I'm so fortunate to see right yeah. here. I know you're located right down there by the beach as well, uh-huh. man. And uh, I'm just so fortunate. I, I love my life and I mm-hmm. like, I like showing people what I'm up to.
1: Hey, man, well, you're inspiring me just by, you know, the things I see on your Instagram, but
0: let, let's get right
1: into it. So I want to talk about a little bit about your college years. Right. And so you're from
0: Virginia, right? I am. Grew up in Virginia Beach. Uh, okay. Played at Kinsfield High School. And uh, yeah, man, I enjoyed my time down at 757 Competitive Place to from an athletic standpoint, you got a lot of great baseball players really that have come out of there. And obviously a lot of football players as well with the big brothers and Lawrence Taylor's from the seven, five, seven, Bruce Smith. I mean, you go back to see Harvins. Yeah. Yeah. Alan Iverson obviously from a basketball and football standpoint. So, uh, honored to be, you know, just from the same area, clearly not even in the same (laughs) class or planets as any of those guys. But, uh, it's cool to uh, have know the history really of, mm. of that area with athletics because it's important down there and yeah. guys, uh, gives folks a way out, man, a chance to, uh, you know, better their lives and in the lives of their families and friends. And, uh, it's, it's cool to see.
1: Definitely. You know, I'm from Northern Virginia. So a couple of hours out of, um, from, you know, down by the Bay area, but, um, 703, I uh, went to Westfield High School. We played in two state championships. And both state championships, we played uh, Oscar Smith down in Virginia Beach. And the first game, we were at UVA. The second game, we were at Norfolk. And that's like their backyard. So oh. they were, they were yeah. packed out there. But um, now there's a lot of rich history from the 757, a lot of legends. I think seven five seven definitely had football back in the day, but I think uh Northern Virginia's got it now.
0: You know, we played against when I was coaching and I know we'll talk a little bit about coaching, but we I have the utmost respect for those Northern Virginia teams, man. I think they did such a great job of developing players, regardless if they had maybe that one superstar or not. Um, they just collectively had these really good football teams, you know, that were big, strong kids that were well-developed. They were smart. Um, they usually had 85, 90 guys on that redhead team. Yeah, I remember saying, yeah. getting beat by uh, Keith Payne in uh, that team at uh, – Man, I'm drawing a blank on the high school that beat us in the state championship, but that I remember coming watching that team run through their banner, and it felt like it never ended. It just kept they just kept coming out, man. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you know, we were a little bit of a ragtag group with with a couple really really good players, but uh, yeah, man, uh, Northern Virginia, some great football program.
1: Yeah. So, what was that road like? You know, getting to Virginia Tech.
0: Yeah. So for me, it's it's. Uh, A story of just overachievement, man. I was a junior. I weighed 175 pounds. I was, you know, varsity starter, but nothing to uh, write home about. And I had a dream of playing college football. I had the opportunity to – I worked my tail off, man. I gained about 50 pounds between junior and senior year and Mm. um, ended up earning a a Division II full scholarship. So I went – I actually played Division II first. Um, I remember the day I signed – that scholarship, I told my mom, I said, Hey, I'm going to play two seasons here. I played at uh, Concord college. It's now Concord University, it's right there in Athens, West Virginia, about an hour past Virginia tech. Um, I told her that day, I said, Hey, I'm gonna play two seasons here and then I'm going to transfer to a division one school. Uh, that was my dream, you know, to me growing up, watching college football, Virginia, Virginia tech, Miami, Florida state, that was football to no. me, no. you know? And, and, uh, you know, I was thankful for an opportunity to go to school for free and, uh, and play. And and then I gained a lot of confidence cause I, I went there and started as a freshman and sophomore had, had a pretty good division two career there and, um, had an opportunity to, to transfer out and walk on at Virginia tech. And that's all I wanted. I wanted a shot, you know, yeah. I just wanted a chance to, uh, compete against the nation's best and they were coming off some really, really good seasons. And, uh, I just wanted to go take, take a swing and, and see what I could do. And I had an opportunity to go and, and play and compete against those great football players. And I played sparingly. Of course, I don't have a, a career to, to look back on and say, wow, I, I did X, Y, Z from a statistics standpoint, but man, I'm oh. proud of what I did. I, I gained a lot of respect and uh, from a lot of really good players and coaches. And hmm. I played for a hall of famer and, yeah. You know, a, a Bud Foster who's probably going to be a hall of fame defensive coordinator. Uh, and those guys are people that I'm, you know, still well respected from and by. Right. And uh, and again, I'm proud of what I mm. was able to accomplish.
1: That's amazing. Transitioning from D2. And you said you knew from the jump that you wanted to transfer after two years. And so just yeah. that, that belief in yourself, says a lot about you. So what was yeah, it was, like when you,
0: I was fortunate, you know, not to cut you off. I'm sorry, Aubrey. Um, you know, I was fortunate, too. I, I listened to a lot of people that were older than me growing yeah. up. You know yeah. how you kind of have that – I don't know. I like to think I'm a little bit of an old soul. I, I, I kind of listened to folks. Um, I always wanted to be in the adult conversation when all the kids were over here playing. Yeah. I just was yeah. always that kind of guy. I still am. And I uh, have a lot of friends that are in their 50s and 60s and much older than me because um, I just respect – that, ex- that life experience and, mm. and what they're able to share with you. So mm. I remember just getting some advice about, Hey man, you got to follow your heart, your dreams, your passions, and, and don't have any regrets. So to me, I was like, Hey, I'm going to play division two because this is the opportunity I'm given. I'm, I'm able to, to go to school for free and this is really who wants me right now. Right. I'm like that. I was that dog that was in the cage. Like, Hey man, somebody adopt me. And they took me, you know? And, uh, but I told my mom, I said, Hey, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And, uh, I'd rather go pay my way and say, you know what? I did it. I took my best shot at this thing or have a ton of regrets when I'm sitting here now at 39 years old, I would have a lot of regrets. Had I not made Mm. that decision to do that. And, uh, and I'm so thankful every day that I did.
1: Yeah. That's, that's one of my biggest fears is just looking back and thinking to myself, you know, I should have done this or I should have done that. But you know, that's, that's good. That's good to hear. What was, were you working to become a starter and you played fullback, right?
0: I did. I played fullback. I played behind a very talented, uh, fullback Doug Eastlake. He was a, a couple years starter there and, uh, I never started any football games. I played, I played some at fullback. I played on special yeah. teams and, uh, you know, I was a program guy. I was one of those guys that, you know, throughout the program was – I was always doing extra sets in the weight room. I was mm-hmm. always trying to uplift the guys around me. Yeah. I've been doing that since I was playing, you know, rec baseball and anything as a youngster. You know, I just yeah. always was kind of that rah-rah guy on the team and knew how to uplift and inspire guys around me. And um, everyone's always had respect for me athletically. I, work, I worked as hard as anyone, right? Yeah. It just never – manifested itself into me being super talented. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would go hard. You know, I got a hard head. I didn't mind hitting people and uh there's always use for that, man, and yeah. uh within programs. And I learned that even more as a coach. You know, there's a lot of value in guys like Steve Cantors of the world that are willing to do whatever they're asked to do and uh, and play whatever role they can get in. So Um, I never really was probably competing for a starting spot by any means, but I was a guy that was going to get in where I fit in and, um, and go hard all the time. And I think all the coaches knew that.
1: Yeah. You need guys like that on your team, man, who just do anything for the program and and stick their neck out for you. But what was your favorite moment in college? Right. And then tell me, what was the biggest trial or tribulation you faced in college?
0: (laughs) You know, one of my favorite moments, I probably had two. One, one was the first day I dressed for a game as a junior. Uh, I came out, and I just remember walking out of that tunnel, man, and I was in tears, man. I was yeah. just – uh, I was so emotional and just moved that, hey, this dream really had come to fruition, man. You know, yeah. like this thing had, had – uh, it, it was here. And I had a chance to play in Lane Stadium and a stadium that I had driven by for a few years going, I had to drive right by Virginia Tech, man, to get mm-hmm. to Concord. And yeah. I would—I had a good friend from high school that was playing at Virginia Tech at the time, too. So I would visit occasionally. But I remember driving by Lane Stadium right there on um, 460 is what it's called. Uh, it's not an interstate, but it's a, you know, um, the road 460 right by Lane Stadium. And I'd always point over there and I'd say my prayers and I'd say, hey, I'm going to end up there, man. I'm going to have a mm-hmm. chance to play. And, uh, and I did, I, and God made it happen, man. You know, I, oh. I prayed like it depended on God and I worked like it depended on me. Hmm. And, uh, and so it ended up working out. And I just remember touching that hokey stone, which is the tradition there, walking out of the tunnel in Lane Stadium and, uh, and going out. And a lot of guys were very happy for me knowing that, uh, I had worked my tail off to get there and it was exciting. So hmm. it was one of my most memorable moments there. And, I would say probably the next most memorable moment was, I just remember this game against Miami, University of Miami. We had come off a big loss uh, the week prior uh, against West Virginia on a Wednesday night. Coaches had just sent us home. They said, hey, go home, get this loss behind us. We came back. And we, I think, were ranked 10 at this time. Miami was uh, number three in the country, and, and we woke them. But the biggest mm-hmm. moment of that game really was prior to the game. We pull up at the end of the stadium. And and, uh, and I know you may recall, because I don't know if you made the trip last year in yeah, 2019, that's a, right? That's a different down, feeling, man. That's a different feeling. Down there feeling. Delaney Stadium, <laughs> man, when, when the Rhodey Rams were down there. But, uh, yeah. Pulling up, we pulled up at that the end of the that uh, of that stadium. We'd get out and do that walk, and uh, it was shoulder to shoulder. Mm. We were walking single file. That's how crowded this night game was. Wow, it's a. I remember looking at guys on the bus thinking, holy cow, because you could see the crowd as we were pulling in. You could see this crowd. There was probably 50,000 people on this one road already waiting for the game. And it was an 8 o'clock at night game. It was just hype, man. It was probably the most you couldn't even hear the guy next to you or in front of you. We were trying wow. to communicate. It was really cool. It's one I'll never yes. forget, man.
1: Wow. You had to play with some, some, some really good NFL players. What are some NFL players that you played with that are
0: really? Yeah. Really so one of my, one of my good friends was our running back, Kevin Jones. He was a first round draft pick. Uh, okay. He and I hit it off really well throughout my time there. Uh, Jeff King was best man in my wedding. He played over 10 years in the NFL. When wow. uh, Montgomery was a, was a good buddy. I still communicate with Will a lot. He played center for about three or four different NFL teams and um, snapped the ball to Brett Favre and Peyton Manning. So that's uh, he's had a heck of a career. Um, you know, most of the guys now that I played with are all they're all done, man. You know, we're playing all golf, we've all gotten golf. old, buddy. Yeah. Uh, a lot of guys made it a long time. D'Angelo Hall was there. You know, Be-ho. he was number, number eight yeah. pick in the draft. Uh, you know, it's so obviously he's a super talented guy. Um, Jake Grove. I mean, there was a lot of really notable, uh, NFL players that I had the pleasure of playing with. And, uh, again, just did my part, man, just to try to get them ready. You know, because I was a hell of a scout team player now. I mean, I really was. I took great pride in that. And uh, I did my best. I I was always honored every Monday when I showed up and they gave me the jersey of the best defensive player Hmm. on the opposing team and said, hey, help us get our offense ready. And that was Hmm. my early in my career when I was playing defense and I would play scout defense. And that was something I took great pride in, man. Hmm. You know, if they gave me some Bobo number that had nothing to do with the – the good players on D I would say, man, clearly I'm not doing my job. So it was great when I was able to kind of replicate the the talent of the best defensive player uh, on the opposing team weekly, just to get our guys ready.
1: A lot of guys take for granted, you know, doing the little things right. And, you know, say in our, in our generation, you know, you get a bad number. They're going up to the office to tell coach, you know, give me a new number. Like, how were you able to have that mindset to be able to do all the little things and be okay being a role player? Like how were you raised like that? Is that something that you developed?
0: You know, I think um, you know, we didn't I didn't grow up with much. You know, my mom and, and my my real dad left when I was three years old. I, I don't I haven't seen him since. And uh, mm. so I grew up with a mom who worked her tail off, man, worked mm. two, three jobs just to, to make it happen. I had a stepdad that came in and, and really helped the process throughout my childhood. I I don't think looking back, did I really want for anything? Probably. I mean, I probably wanted, but I definitely didn't need anything. Right. Like I had food, I had an opportunity to have a roof over my head always. And, um, but yeah, man, I I saw from, you know, my stepdad was an electrician. He was always working side jobs. My mom worked three jobs. Like work is what you do, you know? And that's, um, And then I had a mindset, too, when you transfer in there and you walk on, you've got a mindset that, hey, man, I'm happy to be here, Mm. you know? And and when I say I'm happy to be here, I wasn't just saying, man, I can't wait to wear my Virginia Tech shirt downtown and pick up girls or whatever, right? Like, I was happy to be there and have an opportunity to be on the field. That was the Super Bowl to me, dude. Mm. You know, I I didn't get new cleats all the time from the equipment guy, right? Like, if Hall wants a new pair of gloves, he gets them. God. Right. Steve Canner goes and asks for a pair of gloves. They say, Hey, let's see your old ones. How, well, where are the holes in those, man? There's not enough. Uh, go back, keep using those until we tell you we got another pair for you. Right. So and I was happy to be there, man. And mm-hmm. I, I wanted to do everything I could to prove my worth. Um, and that's a little bit of who I am man. I, I get acceptance through hard work and that's what I crave. I crave acceptance uh, through working harder than the guy next to me. And that's, Mm. that's kind of maybe how I'm built in my psyche from maybe not having a dad around or, or whatever it may be. That's, I always wanted to make people around me proud. And that's Mm. what I sought out to do as an, uh, as a college football player.
1: That's crazy. I relate to that a lot, you know, being with my mom, you know, I grew up with a single mom. You know, I was really appreciative of of a lot of the the little things. And even when I got to Rhode Island, you know, we don't have the best strength program. We don't have the best, you know, AT staff. But I think it's all about perspective and how you look at it. And I'm so grateful to to be in this position, whereas a lot of guys will take it for granted. But let's talk about that transition from football into, I guess, what you're doing now and into the real world. You know, was the NFL something that you had thought for yourself? Was that like a – a dream for you that you felt like you could manifest?
0: No, you know, I I think when, when I was growing up, you know, I wrote that down as, as something I wanted to do. I was a bigger baseball player for a long time. And then my temperament kind of flipped and I was a little too hot headed to be a baseball guy for a minute. And, uh, you know, I, I finally matured a little bit, I think maybe, but, uh, you know, I realized when I got to Virginia Tech, I said, hey, the NFL is, is not really in the cards for me. I didn't quit on a dream or anything, but I said, you know what? If, if I can't start at Virginia Tech, I can't play in the NFL, but I can work my tail off and get myself the best chance uh, to, to make an impact. And, you know, I, I always naturally liked to uh, be on a team and be a part of a program and all those things and and build a culture that we could be proud of that could be you know, productive. And so I said, you know what, it's probably a natural transition into coaching. Hmm. Um, And a couple of the coaches had identified me as a guy they thought would be a great ball coach. And so, uh, you know, I first was a strength and conditioning GA. I was a grad Hmm. assistant there. I'd gotten offered a grad assistant job from Iron Mike Gentry, our, Longtime strength coach that all of us had such a, uh, admiration for, and um, so I did that. And then I wanted to transition into into football. I like the strategy a little more of football than I do the old all the iron banging. And I, I know the importance of strength and conditioning. I, I definitely do, and I'm wholeheartedly support that. But I love the idea of coaching football, and uh, mm. so I wanted to get into that. And I went. I went and uh, took an opportunity down to, to coach at Lansdowne High School under a great mentor of mine, Chris Beatty, who was one of the best um, football coaches in the state of Virginia, and uh, and worked for him for a few years, and then had a chance to be the head coach. and uh, wow you know, I was the youngest head coach in the state of Virginia for, I was 25 years old when I was the head coach at Lancaster High School, taking over a program that had just gone 40 and two and, uh, and had per- Percy Harvin and Damon McDaniel and some of these other wow. guys that were some of the top receivers in the country uh, at the time. And, uh, but I had, I had some talented kids too. We did a nice job there. I had great coaches. I had good people in the, in the school, the program. And uh, I was just honored to, to have a chance to coach and, yeah. And then I wanted to move into being a college football coach, which I did. I transitioned in over at Northwood State University, which was local. All of those that don't know anything about the seven five seven, but NSU and uh went back to Virginia Tech and was a GA for under Coach Foster uh in oh. two thousand nine, had a chance to coach Cam Chancellor and, and some really good players. Tyrod Taylor was our oh. quarterback <laughs> and what a what a cool thing to do to come back and join a program that you had played uh played there. Um and then do it as an adult, and then eventually got back into winning the championship at Norfolk State University, the only NIAAC championship they've ever had there, uh, and that was really cool as well. Wow. So, wow. Had, yeah, had a great coaching you've been, career. You've been I'm around very a little bit. I, yeah. you know. You've been around a
1: little bit. That's crazy. I think to, to coach college football, you have to really love football, plain and simple, right? you got to really love the game, love everything about it, because, you know, you guys are spending, as college coaches, you guys are spending more time there than the players. And I know we have some coaches on our staff who literally have their family, you know, in a different state. And they mm-hmm. left their family to go coach us. And I always thought about that. And I wondered if I could do that. And I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure if I, if, I, if I could ever coach college football. Because that's just a different grind.
0: You know that was a dream, much like playing college football for me was. Once I, once I got that dream in my head that hey, I wanted to be a Division I college football coach, and I was going to do whatever it took to do that. So I yeah. came, you know, I I worked, uh, I worked warehouse jobs, third shift, in addition to uh, coaching, you know, just wow. so I can make enough money to support my family, my growing family at the time. Uh, I worked at Belmont Marketplace, man, while I worked. I was a a quarterback's coach at University of Rhode Island. And four or five nights a week, depending on the time of the year, I was working at Belmont Marketplace right here in Wakefield, stocking shelves, aisle two. And uh, doing that from 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. And then I would go over to University of Rhode Island and, uh, and coach my quarterbacks through, you know, winter workouts and, and all of our off-season drills and go through a days full of meetings, man. Trying not to pass out and uh, fall asleep in those meetings. But that's, that's the type of commitment you have to have, man. And I believe yeah. that about anything that you want to do. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully your passion is something that pays more money. But I was making $40,000 right here at uh, University of Rhode Island. That's not enough to support a family, man. So whatever you got to do, you know, go make another $12 an hour stocking shelves at Belmont. That's where my commitment level was. And um, and the guy always challenged people when they tell me they want to coach or they want to do anything. Mm. Say, well, what are you willing to do? What sacrifices are you willing to make, man? I didn't sleep four Mm. nights a week. And um, might have shaved a couple years off my life, man, but that's all right. I'm going to get as much of it in as I can until they throw dirt on the box.
1: Oh, wow. So I know you were talking about playing with a lot of NFL guys when you were playing at Virginia Tech. And I'm sure you coach a lot of NFL guys and you've seen you've been around NFL guys. You know, what do you think the difference is between, you know, a college football player and the college football players that make it to the league?
0: You know, there's so many skills that you take. It's really splitting hairs, right? I mean, it's, it's essentially you look at quarterbacks, for for example, right? Like, I, I didn't play quarterback by any means, but I coached them for about, I don't know, six or seven years. I coached all my quarterbacks at, at Lansdowne High School and yeah. really got pretty good at developing quarterbacks. I coached the, the player of the year in the MEAC conference, my quarterback, Chris Wally, when we won a championship uh, at Norfolk State and I coach the quarterbacks here at University of Rhode Island. So I I coached them. And I understand and know, like, there's a major difference even between a 1AA quarterback, most of the time, you know, you get the exceptions, you got a Carson Wentz, who's North Dakota State, right? And and then a 1A guy. And then it becomes an even smaller window to be able to make all those throws in the NFL, right? So it's just that 10th of a second in your 40. It's that you know, a little bit of velocity on your throws. It's all of those things. And it might be an inch of height that you can't control any of that. Um, I do think some of it comes down to work, right? Did you put the work in to build those nuances and put those 10,000 hours in? I don't know. I mean, some guys do and some guys don't. It's a, it's a holistic approach. I think some of the best college programs know how to approach it. The Clemsons and Alabamas of the world, they make sure these guys are getting enough sleep. They make sure they're eating all the right things. That, it wasn't that way when I was at Virginia Tech. I mean, we were eating junk for snacks and things like that as part of our training table compared to what they eat now, you know, and that was just 15, 16 years ago. So the, the science has changed and, um, and athletes are getting better and better. And, and at the end of the day, some people just don't want to acknowledge, man, but your genetics have a lot to do with it, man. Like, you know, I always used to tell my high school guys, hey, man, you had the two, the wrong two people procreate, brother. And that's you. (laughs) You know, it just is what it is. man, And uh, it's unfortunate, but I didn't have the greatest of foot speed. I'm actually faster now than I was when I played, which is funny. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, like I just didn't develop quick enough in certain areas for me to be able to compete at the college level. Uh, as a starter or whatever it is. And, and uh, some people take it to heart, can never get over it. I mean, it's like, listen, man, do your best Hmm. and your best might be better in 10 years than it is right now. Uh, And I think that's where I've gotten better, man. I'm like fine wine, brother. I've gotten better and better as, as my career has been over. I'm a better athlete now than I was when I played college football.
1: Hmm, wow. So another question on to that, because I'm curious about it. You know, what about what do you tell guys who or how should a guy approach, you know, who wants to go to the NFL, but then also battling with like being realistic and, and looking at other things in their life? Like, how do you balance that approach? Because a lot of guys believe in, you know, going all in basically, you know, do you believe in like a plan B takes away from a plan A or do you think you shouldn't just go all in on your plan A?
0: You know, I I don't think plan B takes away from plan A. I think you're always working on a plan B. Like when you become an adult, you always have another iron in a fire, right? Like when I'm a parent, so I can't go all in with my career because I have my two kids that need to be taken care of, right? Like there's always – you can't be – just a dad because you need to be a husband or whatever it may be. So there's always a plan B. Like your time is always being split. And if you think you're ever going to be able to just go 100% in one direction uh, to succeed, I I, I think you're sadly mistaken. And I know I've heard Gary Vee say it and some of these other guys say this stuff, right? It's the mindset. Is what matters. And I think Gary B and some of these successful entrepreneurs, they have the mindset, right? Which is, I will work at Belmont as a supplemental job so that I can pursue my passion, so that I can eventually make my passion what I do all the time. But like if for me to give advice to a young college athlete right now, what what are you so busy doing for football? that you can't tighten up your resume and be ready to look at another job if you don't make it to the NFL. Like you're playing video games, dude. I was in college too, right? Like why don't you cut that in half? Why don't you get off your phone about one to two hours a day and start then pursuing and looking at some things you would do if you don't make it to the NFL. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I just think it's an, when people say that they don't know how to maximize their time. Right. What time are you getting up during the, in the morning? Because I know I maximize my time because if I got to get up earlier and earlier and earlier every single day, which I have pretty much since I graduated college, to maximize and get all those things in that I want to do, um, then you, you have to make some sacrifices. But I don't believe in just pushing your chips into one color, man, and saying it's going to be this because that that gambling mindset is great if you hit. But if you don't, what? why Why did you not have enough time to work on a plan B? Like, I just don't get where the time is spent. Because you can only lift so many weights. Yes, you can catch a ton of balls, Ivory, right? You can go out and catch as many balls as you can work a ton of drills. But your body also needs recovery. So when you're recovering, why aren't you thinking, studying, being creative, whatever it is? The Think Gold podcast is not taking away your ability to be a great football player, in my, in my opinion. Now, who am I? I don't know. But at the end of the day, I believe that you're doing that is not going to prevent you from being in the NFL. Sure.
1: For sure. I would argue, you know, having other passions would help you and your number one passion. You know, I know for sure, like, you know, doing this podcast, it just helps me take my mind off what I have to do tomorrow. And it kind of makes me when I get on the field tomorrow, like I'm excited and I'm refreshed, you know, to be back on the field. No, I agree with that a lot. I agree with that a lot. I think you can, I think more athletes need to invest themselves into other things besides football. And I always say, you know, don't let college football use you, you know, use college football. Mm -hmm. And there's so many guys that I've seen coming to Rhode Island who just put it all into football. And then, you know, when they graduate, they're not really left with anything to show for it. And I had a good friend of mine who was, um, he was a filmmaker. And, uh, he has, he's working on a show on Netflix right now. He just graduated last year, Sean Antoine. And he made a short film when he was at, at URI playing football and it won a bunch of awards and, you know, he's blowing up all over the place. He's a, a director, you know, a, a African-American director. And he'd always be telling me this, like, yo, you gotta be more than football, bro. Like, you gotta, you gotta do more, man. Don't worry about what the coaches are saying. Like, he had told me there was a time where he had a mispractice for, uh, for a film event or something and the coaches were all like oh why are you missing practice they're all basically just dogging him you know what I'm saying he was like I'm not worried about that and when you look at him now like it's true it paid off what he did and I think you know a lot more guys need to invest themselves into other things besides football because Life's going to come at you fast, you know?
0: It it is. And I I think, you know, I think you made a great point about using football, right, versus being used by it. You know, athletics in general, we're talking football because you and I are two football guys, but I know more athletes are going to listen to this. Your sport is teaching you transferable skills. That's the number one thing that people have not utilized enough or been able to really put that to use once they leave, is that you're learning how to manage your time. You're learning how to show up on time, have great pride in the work that you do, touch the line in a conditioning drill versus not, right? When you cut that short, that means you'll take a shortcut at any job you work, Mm -hmm. period, man. And so I see it all the time. I work with professionals. I work with people that struggle to kind of get their lives in order. I've worked a lot of different jobs since I've been out of coaching and I saw it when I was a coach, right? The same guy that was cutting corners as a player, he cuts corners as a coach, and his players are typically not ready because he didn't know the nuances of that offensive lineman who's leaning back in his stance, and if I'm coaching D-line, I should be able to tell that I should have my D-line ready for those things. I mean, there's some nuances, right, that we need to pick apart, but you're learning transferable skills, and it doesn't have to be. I'm going to go to the NFL. Everybody wants to. Uh, everybody wants to think that they're going to take their passion in that sport and go, you know, play and make money, and and then be done. Well, what are you going to do after that, too? Right. So it's like this is the challenge, even at the NFL level, is what are you going to do after football, right? Because every guy I named earlier when I talked about NFL people, there's really how many of them made a career that they could just sit back and not do anything. Well, they didn't make that much money, right? Like, D'Angelo Hall still has another job, and he's probably the one that I played with that made the most money, and he still has another job, right? So there's a lot of things uh, to consider in that, but utilize those transferable skills. When coaches are trying to hold you accountable, it's because they know, most of them, if they're good at what they do, they know that this is gonna make you better once you leave University of Rhode Island, or wherever these athletes are competing. And, uh, and be able to do great things after.
1: That's real. That's real. Thank you for touching on that. I appreciate that. That's real.
0: Um, I wanted to, to kind of
1: talk about Cancer Zone and your mentorship program. And obviously, that's the name of your, your Instagram. And I, I said it before, you know, you're posting motivational quotes and just giving out inspiration to people. You know, where does that purpose and passion for life come from? Like, where does that drive come from to... I guess, to wake up early in the morning, to, you know, go out with your kids and and go surfing? Like, where does that passion for life come from? Because to be honest with you, not a lot of people are doing that right now, right? We live in a time we're going through COVID, people are sleeping in, people are complaining, people are being miserable. Like, how do you, where does that passion come from for life?
0: Yeah, you know, I've always, so... I just don't live a life of lack. You know, I, I just never really focus on things I don't have. I tend to be so grateful. Um, it, you know, I've always been a very positive guy. I, I've, I've, that's been really since I was young. Uh, I've always wanted to be a part of a team. I always like motivating people around me uh, and trying to do my best to kind of bring people up and coach them and all of those things. Uh, and to me, I know that my time here is limited. It just is. There's 86,400 seconds in a day, man. And I want to do something with them, right? I want to go to sleep knowing that I maximize my time. And most days I accomplish that. And some days I do much like some other people and I limp through the day and I didn't get it accomplished, right? I don't beat myself up over that, but I am aware. And, um, you know, I'm just passionate about, hey, I want to do new things, I love the beginner's mindset. I love being able to overcome, you know, that fear of looking silly, not knowing what is going on, cha- being challenged, all those things. And I really just seek that out in my life, man. Like I just learned to surf this year. And now I'm, I'm halfway decent. I'm not great. But at the end of the day, like I've overcome and I've been able to see that progress. Um, and because it's something I was passionate about beginning, right? And uh, same thing that happened with running. I went from running one mile to a five K to eventually a marathon within months. And now I've run, you know, ultra marathons and run for 24 hours and done that multiple times. And, you know, all those things, I'm kind of a zero to hundred guy. That's just mm. really how my personality has worked. But, um, you know, the cancer zone, one that was a nickname of mine at Virginia tech, those guys had named me cancer zone. And, um, you know, I just, some people really gravitated to the message and uh, at, at one point, asked me to speak a couple times to some small businesses and some other athletics teams. And I said, you know what? I can probably make a business out of this. I kind of, it was a passion project. I certainly wasn't going to do it full time and get rich off it by any means. But um, I wanted to have a chance to just share what I used to share with my players. Now that I'm not a coach anymore in terms of athletically and doing those things daily, So why not create a, some sort of forum or a platform where I can share my thoughts. Hmm. And I'm just fortunate that some people tend to read it and listen and I get some good feedback. And some days I don't hear anything and I'm okay with that too, because it's really like a daily journal for me, man. Hmm. You know, the captions that I put out there and some of the thoughts that kind of get manifest, it's therapy for me. And, uh, so that's why I tend to post every day and, and accomplish those things. But, uh, I'm just, I'm juiced up about where I get to live and the things I get to do and my health. And man, I'm so fortunate and blessed. I know people say they got better lives than me. I don't think so, man. I'd argue with them. Mm.
1: It's interesting just hearing about your life, you know, playing college football and the coaching. Now you're mentoring. It's crazy how each stage of your life just goes hand in hand with each other, right? It's like you're grabbing the tools from what you previously did and bringing them on to the next stage of your life. And that's amazing to hear right there but you know speaking in like tangible things right let's say someone is lacking you know purpose and passion like what would be the first thing that you would say to them like what would you recommend them to do
0: i always love to just remind people to and challenge them to really take a mental inventory and and write it down really of what are you grateful for right like let put put down those things and that's part of that that gratitude journal. I know I sent you one and I, I have posted out there to really just try to spread that opportunity because it was it was something that was therapeutic for me. I went through a divorce last year and I, I went back and read those recently, right prior to me posting that sunrise manifesto and being able to gift out some of those to some folks, but I went back and read some of those entries that I put in during some, mm. a tumultuous time. Right. And, uh, and I said, wow, man, I had a great perspective then, man, you know, like you, you read that stuff and you say, dang, this is the probably the most difficult time somebody goes through. And, and here it was, it was just being grateful mm. for all the stuff I have versus focusing on the stuff that I don't. And, uh, but until somebody writes down what they are grateful for and what they have, you tend to only focus on the stuff that you don't, don't have, yeah. right? And they, and they also, much like you said, you're scrolling through a feed every day, right? And all of us are guilty to a degree. I tend to cut that off during the day. I listen to podcasts and I do my work and I do some things. And I like to scroll through social media a little bit and follow certain people that give me a little jolt of, of inspiration as well. But I am not in the doom and gloom crowd, man. It's just not my thing. But some people are scrolling through and they're comparing themselves, right, Mm -hmm. to other people. And comparison is the thief of joy, right? So if you're always looking at, well, this guy's got this and I don't have that. Well, listen, man, you you could accomplish it. I always tell my kids, my favorite word is yet. I don't have it yet, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not good enough yet. And uh, I think that's the key is this thing is a marathon, not a sprint. And our window can be long. It might be short. It gets cut short. It's unfortunate, man, that some people, their window gets cut short. I can't control it, so I just control what I can control, and that's my attitude and my effort every day. And uh, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of how I handle a lot of things. There's some stuff I know I can get better at, um, but I love to just try to influence folks to do their best. It's it's not going to happen every day, but be as consistent as you can.
1: That's amazing. That's amazing. I feel like so much about life is just perspective, you know, and the way we look at things and, you know, there's billions of people on this earth and everybody has a different perspective. And it's just, it's just crazy to think about, right? How one person can view something as negative and another person can view it as positive. And um, I think we constantly need to be shaping our perspective and constantly molding that. And I know, you know, as I've gotten older, I've been able to, to mold my perspective. But even in myself, like there's so much more to learn, there's so much more to be grateful for, you know, and, and there's still molding that needs to be done. So that's amazing to hear from an older person like yourself, for sure. Um, on your website, so I went on your website, and I think one of the first things it says was, you're working, or you are, you're working on, the human limitations, right? Human limitations. you talked a little bit about that. You know, what are, what in your opinion is like the major human li- limitations that is plaguing humanity right now? Like what is holding back humanity right now that you felt?
0: Well, humanity is, that's, it's just a, that's giant, right? That's yeah, thinking giant, about right. tackling something that's, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're all self-centered to a degree. So that's a limitation in itself is that, yeah, we, there's some great examples of folks that are willing to give up their time, their money, any other resource they have for sure. But from, for the most part, most of us are in it for us. <laughs> that, that's 100% a limitation is that we tend to get caught up in our own uh, journey and, uh, and we rarely consider other people. And, and that's a limitation in itself as well. Um, you know, the, the limitations I always like to challenge people is, is where are you in your development? What are you, what goal do you see as just unachievable? Much like you talk about with the Think Goal podcast is, is your mindset, are you prepared mentally to take on some of these goals and aspirations and passions that, uh that you have for yourself, or do you have a, a mindset of, in a, you know, of, of lack, I'm lacking the skill, I'm lacking the talent, I'm lacking the genetic makeup, I'm, you know, it's impossible. Um, I love the Muhammad Ali quote that, you know, impossible is just an opinion, not a fact, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's an opinion, man. In uh, telling somebody because they didn't grow up in the right area that they can't do X, Right. And then they can't accomplish certain things because of their skin color or how much money their parents made or whatever it may be. Those things are all opinions. They're not facts. And um, I love to, to challenge the human limitation and that in terms of what you can do physically and mentally. And uh, I, I think the two come to a crazy collision when you begin some sort of an endurance challenge challenge. Um, your mind is always going to quit before your body, hmm. and uh, and until you can train your mind to be a little more resilient, um, you're gonna you're gonna tend to be much like my kids are, and they're they're still building some resilience. But you can tell the difference in a mature adult who's challenged themselves, and then a person who's maybe a teenager and losing their phone is the biggest and the most uh, traumatic experience where an adult would say, Hey, this stinks, but these are the things I'm going to do to counter that problem. Right. Um, so I think limitations just exist so much in our minds. And, um, and I love to challenge people to, to overcome them.
1: That's real. That's real. Speaking of your kids, you know, I've seen on Instagram, you have two beautiful kids, young kids, right? And nine um, and know,
0: five. Yeah. Uh,
1: that's a blessing. What is, what does fatherhood mean to you?
0: Oh, it means everything to me. I never envisioned myself being a dad. I grew up mm-hmm. without one. Obviously, I had a stepdad, but he was never, I never was super connected to him. I thought he was a good dude, but, mm-hmm. um you know, I never really, I was so career focused. I want to be a coach. I want to do these things. I never really had this vision of being a dad. And then I had a chance to become one, man. And it changed my life instantly. I, I never can imagine loving something more than those little dudes, man. Yeah. Um, it's so much fun just trying to uh, to give them a chance to grow on their own, mm. um, without instilling all of your opinions and biases in them. Right, like yeah. all that stuff is manifested at home, you know. And and they, you just talk about um, even even any of the biases and, and uh, prejudices and all the things that exist in the world, right, within us as humans. Uh, most of the time it's manifested at home because it's that's who they surround themselves with, and they are sponges. They listen to what you tell them. And if you're telling them the wrong stuff, they're gonna do the wrong stuff. It's almost guaranteed. But, uh, just having a chance to see them develop, listen to wow. them, get a chance to lay in bed next to them and listen about their day and and what they think about their lives, and what they want to do, and, um, it, it's a really cool experience. And, uh, I would not trade it for anything, man. It's it's yeah. really, really cool.
1: Yeah, I grew up without a father, like I said before. And the one thing that I look forward to in life is just that day where I do become a father. But on the other side of that, it's, it's like that fear because you don't know how to be one, you know, because you've never seen it. You know, what advice would you have to maybe young fathers out there or people are going to become fathers soon of like that fear behind it? Like, how do you overcome that fear when you're just thrown into that?
0: Yeah, I think I think naturally you're you're going to actually respond well. Um, You know, I remember uh, the boy's mom and I, Stephanie. I remember both of us thinking when we had our oldest and our first child thinking they're going to leave this kid with us, man. Like we're not even sure. I had never changed the diaper before then and all that, man. But I I think at the end of the day, if you you put your heart and soul into it, you're going to be fine. You know, uh, I would say, I would say from an advice standpoint to dads is, is don't be afraid to get in some dad groups, you know, whether it's official group or not, but surround yourself by other dads because, there's some valuable lessons and some valuable resources and some support that you can get uh, from those other dads that you may not get from guys that, uh, that don't have kids yet. Or maybe their kids are grown and they, they tend to forget the stage that you're in with young kids or what have you, right? So try to find some dads, much like the moms do. I think moms do a much better job of finding mom groups and some, some of that support system. But dads need it too, man. And it's good to hear it from other dads. Uh, it's much like, you know, I always used to say I thought divorce was contagious. I really do. I, I, I still think if you surround yourself with other dads or other, other moms or, or wives that are having, constantly having problems in their marriage and they start talking about it, and then I always feel like that tends to grow and, mm. and it ends up growing itself in that little small group. And you'll see groups of women all get divorced roughly within a couple of years of each other. And, um, I don't think it's coincidence. I really don't. I think who we surround ourselves with is extremely powerful and has a lot of, uh, impact on who we are, what we do. And, uh, I, so I think it's very important for dads first time dads, you know, and, and, uh, is to find a good group and find some Mm. guys that'll pour into you. that will give you some advice that'll support you. Love you up when it's hard and, um, it'll make all the difference in the world, you know? Mm. And, um, I've been fortunate. I've had some really good guys and mentors in my life. And, you know, I, the one thing I'll say about a guy like me with my personality, I've got, I'm a high energy, hard charging dude, man. Like I'm typically the one driving that stuff. And, uh, it's like the priests or the pastor, nobody checks in on the pastor, right? They never call yeah. him to say, "Hey yeah. man, how you holding up, buddy?" They're always yeah. saying, "Hey pastor, I got a problem, can you pray for me?" And mm-hmm. the pastor might be silently dying inside, yeah. man, right? And uh and you see it all the time. So that is the one danger of a, of when when you're a guy like myself who is who tends to be the the one out front and driving it is uh, people won't check in with you. So I've been very fortunate. I have had some guys that have been able to mm. check in with me and uh, uh, and really help me in, in some of the darkest times. Uh, that's a
1: word. I really like what you said about children being sponges, you know, and evidently they're going to grow up to reflect of what they absorb. And then you're talking about, you know, we are sponges too as we get older and, and we absorb what's around us, whether that be, you know, negative talk or – negative energy, whatever that may be, but we're always absorbing things, whether we know it or not, subconsciously or consciously. It's always coming into our brains. As we're coming to an end here though, I really wanted to know about some of your key, you know, routines, key habits that you have throughout the day. You know, what are some of those like staple routines and habits that you have? Because I know for me, routines and habits have changed my life. You know, having a nightly routine and a morning routine has really been probably the number one key to a lot of the things that I'm starting to manifest into my life. And so talk to me about some of those.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I'm I'm a big proponent of a routine as well. You know, if I deviate from that, the one thing you can do to stir me up or get me all agitated is throw me out of a routine, right? And uh, it's almost like I don't like traveling because of it, because then all of a sudden everything kind of uh, changes a little bit. I've gotten better about that over time. It's kind of chilling out a little bit. Um, You know, I'm an early morning guy. I wake up at somewhere in the three forty to 4 a.m. range every day. Um, and that's weekends as well. It, you know, if you're an adult and your kids are getting up before you, I'll be honest, you're wrong. You're wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. because you're not even, you're not setting the tone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, occasionally your kid's going to wake up early for no reason. And they might beat you out of bed. It's Christmas day. They're going to beat you out of bed. Right. But, um, At the end of the day, man, you got to beat them up and you got to set the tone. You got to get a chance to have some me time, really get your mind right on the day, right? Um, But how I usually start my day is, uh, you know, I I take my vitamins and kind of get my nutrition uh, piece going, but also just spend at least an hour in some sort of mode of gratitude, man. Whether that's me listening to a podcast, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, so I listen to a lot of Christian podcasts. And um, you know, uh, I try to I try to listen to the Word and uh, and set the tone of the day. I like to write in a gratitude journal. I like to write my thoughts down. As part of again, that's part of my routine. Is this. Instagram or social media posts that I usually have every day. That caption is really my mind. What what's on my mind that morning that my thoughts kind of coming out uh, of me. And it's, again, it's therapeutic for me. Um, And and then I do some sort of working out, you know, I I run a decent amount. I I like to lift weights. I like to have a good relationship with the iron, right? Keep that relationship going so I can uh, so I can be ready to take on anything that comes at me, man. I've had my best year of my life in 2020 during the most difficult time for most people. And I attribute that to one, to to God for sure. But two, I attribute that to I'm a resilient dude, man. I'm hard Mm. to kill. I'm lethal. So at the end of the day, it's because of the work that I put in. It's because I take care of myself. I have a great routine. I also smile and laugh a lot. I, I do a lot of things that make me happy. And a lot of that has to do with physical activity. I've been an athlete my whole life. You know, my goal, you know, my advice to guys, guys and gals that have been athletes for a long time is don't stop. Don't stop moving your body just because your college career is over. Mm -hmm. That's where you're going to set yourself back. Uh, in time, you know, this college time is where most people have been thriving athletically, thriving academically, and then they move into this professional world, and all of a sudden they stop working out. Yeah, they gain weight, they're unhappy with themselves, and they start struggling with depression. Now you got to medicate the depression and all of these things. It's a bad spiral, and it's not. I'm not just talking about a small. Uh, portion of the population. We're talking about a lot of folks fall into this kind of vicious cycle until they, until they happen to get out of it, hopefully. But um, you know, just from a routine standpoint, again, I, I, I block out time to always exercise. I block out time to always be grateful, uh, whether that's, again, in the written word or that's just me having a chance to think, right? I don't drive much anymore. I work from home. I used to use a lot of commuting time I never listen to the radio. I don't know. I can't tell you a top hit. I don't know anything because I've always just taken that time just to be, you know, hey, I'm here uh, and let me think through some things. And also, I like to use the phone. I used to call it my office, right? I'm, I'm going to in the car. Call some people that can pour into you mm-hmm. and that you can also pour into. And that's a part of my routine as well. I like to reach out to four or five people a day. I text four or five people a day just to, Hey, how you doing? How you holding up? And uh, a lot of times it's categorized by how I know them. It might be all right. High school, it leads to four or five people Then college. It leads to another four or five people. My time at one job leads to another four or five people. And that's kind of how I get a chance to reach out to those folks. But I think it's, uh, it's a social experiment that I've been running for quite some time. And, uh, I think it's working, man. People always feel blessed when you reach out to them. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I always
1: ask, you know, these three last fill-in-the-blank questions at the end of every Think Gold episode. So I'm going to ask you these questions. Just fill-in-the-blank here. My biggest joy
0: is? My kids. (laughs) Kid. The world needs? God. God. Jesus. Our, Our greatest battle is? ourselves can't get out of the
1: way man that might be six for six every person i've asked that has said ourselves and that goes back to the limitation thing man and that's real that's real well steve appreciate you coming on the think gold podcast today it's amazing having you on if you could drop just your instagram platform or you know any anything where you want people to reach you at feel free to drop it
0: yeah. Well, one, it's an honor, man. I, I love what you're doing. Uh, I can't wait to go back and listen to some episodes and uh, definitely hope hope to see you around Gansett quite a bit, a little fist bump and keep it social distance. But uh, yeah. I'm a hugger, so be, be prepared. Um, yeah. Folks can find me on Instagram at @cantorzone. C-A-N-T-E-R-Z-O-N-E. C-A-N-T-E-R-Z-O-N-E. Um, again, love to have folks following along, man, and message me anytime they want to you want to chat because I'm responsive on there, and, and again I like to just pour into other people, man. So if there's mm-hmm. something I can do for folks, I'm willing to help. This is a this is a great time to really uh, to focus on giving back. You know, most people really focus on that around the holidays, but I think it is important, especially as the year's coming to an end. Uh, one challenge might be behind us, but uh, there's plenty of challenges ahead, and I, I welcome them. You know, Mm. I think that's our mindset. We need to say, you know, not why me more like try me, dude, you know? And, uh, I think that's the mindset we need to have going into 2021. And, um, there's great things ahead for us and we just need to be ready to fight for them. So Mm. again, at cancer zone, you can look me up on Facebook. Any of the young folks that actually are on Facebook, I'd say (laughs) stay away from it, but you can find me, Steve cancer on there. My profile is public. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to chatting with anybody that wants to reach out, man. I, I, I love pouring into folks, especially, you know, young college athletes and, and just young folks in general. Yes,
1: sir. Yes, sir. Well, God bless you, Steve. Appreciate you coming on. Have a blessed rest of your day.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.